Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again this week, and thank you for joining us as we continue our series on the book of Romans. Last week, of course, if you follow our ministry, we were talking about the sixth chapter of Romans, and uh, we are going to springboard off of that this week uh, to begin with Romans 7. I don't know if you're enjoying this teaching, but I'm sure enjoying doing the research and the study to make it available to you, and I trust you're being blessed by it. You know, once again, the book of Romans was a letter that was written, and uh, a letter is meant to be read really in one setting. And I think where much of our confusion sometimes gets is that we uh, don't take the one setting and read contextually how uh, Paul was laying out his uh, his uh, thesis here on uh, understanding the New and Old Covenants, because he starts out in the first part of it by talking about uh, the indictment, or if you will, uh, he talks about uh, the diagnosis of the human condition, and then he talks about in the latter part uh, the deliverance of it, and then the last part of the book of Romans, of course, he's talking about the outworking or the manifestation of what that deliverance produces in a life that's been transformed and not conformed. Law can change your behavior, but grace will change your heart. And we're going to, you know, one of the things that God really had in His uh, mind and, and heart, even in the book of Deuteronomy, is I will write my laws on your heart and your sins and iniquities I will remember no more." That God was really dealing with something that would be uh, a work of the Spirit done in the heart of people. Because there's a lot of people that do certain things, but it's not in their heart to do. God is interested in heart transformation. And only in a climate of freedom and new covenant can real heart transformation really take place. Now, let me just say, uh, if you've just tuned in for the first time, and we are beginning, of course, in the seventh chapter of the book of Romans, and you're just tuning in for the first time, and you think, boy, I sure wish I could have watched this whole series. Well, I've got good news for you. You can go back to our website, and on our website there is a direct link to our YouTube channel, as well as the podcast with the audio portions of this, and there is also an RSS feed for your Android device. And the easiest way to do that is go to my website, and in the upper right-hand corner there is a link that will take you directly to that. And I encourage you to share these with your friends. Tell your friends about uh, where you're hearing some of this, where you're learning from, and uh, have them tune in, because I believe they'll be blessed and transformed by the good news. I was just talking with someone last night, and I said, you know what? I really get excited preaching the gospel these days because it's easy to preach good news. And somebody said, well, you're just a feel-good preacher. I said, well, that's why it's called the good news. It's the gospel, and the gospel is the good news. And uh, that's, that's just an awesome announcement because it transforms the lives. And I get letters from so many people who say, well, this stuff just absolutely saved and transformed my life. That's why we do it. So it's out there for you to do it. Let's go, of course, let me just talk just a few minutes about, you know, the sixth chapter of the book of Romans. He talks about knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Christ. 
So when we are coming into the seventh chapter, there has to be an understanding that the old man, the Adamic nature, who you were in Adam, was nailed to a cross with a decisive end to that sin-miserable life is what Romans 6 declares. We've been crucified with Christ. Now, uh, you know, uh, as we go into the uh, seventh chapter, we're going to uh, just begin to look at a few things here. Let me just read to you. This is from the New King James Version, and I'm going to read it from a couple different translations because it helps us to kind of get, you know, a clearer picture of what he's saying here. And I'm reading it from the New King James because it takes a lot of the these and thous out and makes it a whole lot more easy to understand. Uh, Romans 7 is where we're starting today. It says, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives, she's married to another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she is married to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit unto death. But now we've been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Now let me just take a moment and unpack this a little bit. When he says, I speak to them that know the law. See, he's coming out of, remember, uh, going back uh, without having to, you know, review too much. Uh, You know, he was talking about in Romans 5. Here it is in a nutshell. Remember, I read that to you from the Message Bible. Uh, I think it's Romans 5 or 16. Here, Here it is in a nutshell. One man did it wrong and got us in all this trouble with sin and death, and another man did it right and got us out of it. And I've thrilled many a crowd by talking about the fact that we're not in trouble anymore, and that is a powerfully impacting good news message. But the next part of that says, but more than just get us out of trouble, He got us into a life, a life that goes on and on and on. And then he starts into six of Romans and said, should we continue in sin so that grace can abound? God forbid. How can we who are dead to sin live any longer in it, and then he goes into the uh, incredible uh, understanding of how water baptism was a picture of us being lowered into, if you will, a watery grave, and as we emerge, we come forth in the power of a resurrected life. And you know, really, that that whole idea. You know, sometimes I think we need to ask some questions, like even you know, I mean, because water baptism was not something that you saw. Uh, in the Old Testament. People were not water baptized. So what would make John the Baptist, you know, decide he's going to preach in the wilderness and, uh, you know, he's going to start baptizing people? Uh, Perhaps the reason for that is because uh, he was showing them an Exodus paradigm, that every time they left something uh, old, like they left Egypt, they came through the waters of the Red Sea, which was a picture of water baptism because the writers 
of the New Testament said they were baptized into Moses into the sea. And then you see them later come across the Jordan River. And of course, you know, uh, with Jesus crossing the Jordan when John the Baptist baptizes him, it was really a powerful picture of them leaving Egypt and coming into their promised land or their return from exile or their return from bondage. A new life in a new land is what, you know, when I go back even, let me go back here in Romans 6 for a moment and just, you know, I don't want to do too much review there, but, uh, you know, he said, so what do we keep on, do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? See, he's still talking about promised land type stuff. Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. And when we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. It's new creation uh, uh, language. Uh, that's God's ongoing project. We're going to talk about new creation a lot as we begin to come especially into Romans 8 because he's really talking about creation groaning and travailing for the manifestation of the sons of God to be brought into some kind of a glorious liberty. And so, you know, what he's really given you here is kind of a exodus paradigm. When they came up out of the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered the new country of grace, a new life, and a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we were lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each one of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace, sovereign country. So he starts to talk about there that uh, you've not only you know, not only have you got out of trouble, but you've got into a life. And so he's talking about how water baptism is a picture of the burial of, of uh, you know, of, of, of uh, uh, our old nature, our old man, and our disconnect to the old covenant. We've left the old country where sin is sovereign, and we've entered into Graceland. And I say it like this, where Adam has left the building. So when we come to Romans 7, and he starts to uh, get into this. He says, Do you not know, brethren, I speak to them that know the law, how that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman which has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as, as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she's released from the law of her husband. So then while her husband lives, she's married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law so that she's no adulteress, though she has been married to another man. There, wherefore, my brethren, you also have become, watch this, dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead. So what I want to do is show you here that we've taken the seventh chapter of Romans to use it to browbeat people who have been divorced and remarried in the natural but he's really not talking about divorce and, and remarriage in the natural, except to use it as an allegory to show you that the last husband in this scenario is in fact the one who was raised from the dead, which is Christ, so that we could bring forth fruit unto God. And then again, he's also talking about what happens if you are under the law, then if you are under the law and you are married to another man, then you're an adulteress. But what I want you to see is that in this uh, whole uh, scenario, I call this, I've taught this for years, many years. I call it torn between two lovers. <laughs> 
feeling like a fool, so to speak. And uh, what, what, he, what, what I begin to see is that he's talking about a first husband and a second husband. And he's telling you very clearly that the second husband, or the one that you're married to now, is him who is raised from the dead. And so then I would ask the question, then, who was the first husband? Well, uh, when we look at this, I've heard some say, well, the first husband was the law. I kind of differ with that a little bit. Uh, I believe that the law was the covenant that held you bound to the first husband. But the first husband, from God's viewpoint, see, there's only ever been. See, remember context again. There has only ever been two men in the earth. And Romans 5 starts to lay it out. It says, you know, uh, one man did it wrong, got us in all this trouble with sin and death. Another man did it right, got us out of it. Well, the one man that got us in this trouble with sin and death was Adam. So it would look to me like very clearly in the context of these scriptures that the first husband in Romans 7 is your, your old nature or uh, the Adamic nature or the old creation or the old man. And he clearly begins to talk about the fact that, uh, you know, one man did it wrong, got us all this trouble, sin and death. Another man did it right, got us out of it. But more than just get us out of trouble, he got us into a life, a life that goes on and on and on. And then he goes on to say, should we sin so that grace can abound? Or don't you realize that we put that old way of life to death? We were buried with him in baptism. So see, when we get to Romans 7, and we find out that the second husband is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, then what we begin to discover is he must know something about the first husband being dead or he would not marry us. Because if he marries us and our old man is still alive, then he's an adulterer and we're adulteresses. But I submit to you that Christ is not an adulterer, that he must know that your first husband, Adam, is dead because we were crucified. Our old man was crucified with Christ you know, nevertheless we live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So the death of the cross and the death of Christ was to free both us and Him to be married to another. And that freedom, you know, as I see even, uh, you know, um, in the book of Revelation where he's talking about a tale of two cities and a tale of two women, a harlot in Babylon and a, and a new Jerusalem, a bride, a virgin in, in chapter 21, that uh, the moment that, that uh, uh, harlot system is judged, and I, I, you know, I could probably take a, a long time to unpack this, but I've done it in so many other segments that I probably won't take a long time to do it, but I really believe that the, the harlot of, of Revelation was Old Covenant apostate Israel because he says in her was found the blood of all that were slain on the earth, and the blood of the martyrs. Jesus literally prophesies the judgment that would come upon that apostate city in uh, Matthew chapter 23, when he said, Woe to you, uh, scribes, Pharisees, because you kill the prophets, you stone them that are sent to you, that upon this generation will come the blood of all that were slain on the earth. That can be none other than the Jerusalem that was uh, tied to an old covenant paradigm. Let me just say it like this. The old covenant was given to an old man. It was to keep, that, that was the covenant given to an old creation. 
But God is doing something brand new, and He is bringing forth a new creation. And you know, one of the things I've really been emphasizing in the last several weeks, I've just really had the Spirit of the Lord kind of really stir me on it, has been the fact that, uh, you know, God's project, His ongoing mission, is to bring about new creation. Revelation 21, I believe it is about verse 6 or 7, says, Behold, I am making all things new. Uh, so his, his project is new creation. And, uh, you know, even when he talks about neither circumcision or uncircumcision availeth anything but a new creation. So the new creation, uh, God gives the new man and the new creation a new covenant, and it's a completely different covenant. But it's, it's, it is as if there is this incredible marriage that's taking place uh, between us and Him that the first thing we must re realize is that we have been bound by the law to that old creation man. And what happens is, as we'll see as we go on down through here, that literally the motions of sin which are by the law work in our members to produce death. Now, let me just say this to you again, but when we understand that he's talking here, not so much in the natural, but he's talking about a spiritual adultery, because the clear, the clear verse is four. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, where he should bring forth fruit unto God. See, if we don't realize that our first husband, Adam, is dead, and how he got dead, then we're never going to feel free to connect ourselves wholly to the relationship that we now have with Christ, because we just, we, 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 we're still torn between two lovers. We have a fling with the flesh, I call it. We go back up under the law, and we fail to realize that, it, you know, and it really kind of brings me even to an understanding. See, a lot of people will throw up the scripture, you know, where Paul says, yeah, but we, we die daily. Well, here's the deal again. With that we die daily message, is they pull that one scripture out of the context of where it's written. And where Paul said, I fought with beast at Ephesus. In other words, he's saying, I hazarded my life for the gospel, and I died daily. He was not talking in that text about dying to his old man. He was talking about the fact that he physically faced death every day of his life in order to preach the gospel of freedom and liberty and the new covenant. And the announcement that, uh, you know, uh, Israel's God was now king is, is, uh, was what caused Caesar to kind of buck against it was because, you know, it wasn't just a, okay, you guys got your ticket to heaven, so now you got saved, you can go to heaven, you're going to escape hell. That, that wouldn't cause any kind of ruckus in Rome. But when they were announcing that Jesus had trumped Caesar by the resurrection of the dead and the announcement that Jesus was Lord and not Caesar, uh, it, it began to cause them to have conflict, and also not among just among the Romans, but the fact that they were bringing people into a glorious liberty and a freedom from an old covenant paradigm is that the religious leaders begin to attack them because what was happening was these guys were literally dismantling their traditions that they'd walked in for years because they were declaring, hey, there's a brand new covenant that has been inaugurated by the death resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that new, uh, that new creation, that new covenant was given to a new man, 
once again, let me say it like this. The old covenant was given to an old man to make an old man behave. The new covenant is given to the new man because when you get in new covenant with him and you realize that you're married to another and you start to fall in love with your heavenly husband, you begin to produce fruit not because you have to. See, under law, I call it the works of the flesh. In other words, you did this by human strength and by labor, and it was always a show in the flesh, whether it was circumcision or long prayers for pretense or broad phylacteries or whatever it was. It was literally them uh, trying to do something to modify the behavior of an old man, but I'm getting way ahead of myself here. Uh, but Romans 12 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. And I used to think the context of that whole message in Romans 12 was dealing with, don't be conformed to this world like, you know, whatever we would call worldliness. Back when I was growing up, it was going to movies or wearing certain kinds of clothes. And, you know, we, we were always like, you know, man, you just can't be conformed to the world. But see, the whole idea, and as you see, the whole flow of this letter is that the message of law and legalism makes you conform. Now, make no mistake about it. At least this grace preacher does believe that the real gospel will produce change. But law can conform you, but grace will transform you. Because one of them uh, is like an, uh, take, to take a set of rules and superimpose them on an external code to get you to behave a certain way. But heart transformation comes out of relationship with Him. I believe it is the Woos translation that says, So stop assuming an outward expression that does not come from within you. So real grace will transform the heart. But what he's talking here about is he's talking about uh, being freed from the tyranny of the old husband that you had and who you were in Adam. Now let me say this as well. You know, I think the powerful picture here can be drawn, or the imagery can be drawn from the Exodus again. Remember I said a few moments ago, why would John the Baptist want to do water baptism? Well, it's because he was probably showing them something that had to do with an exodus out of some kind of a bondage and an entrance into some kind of a promised land. Now, we know that in the Old Covenant, they were an exodus from physical Egypt and headed to a physical promised land. But in the New Covenant, uh, we, we see in Revelation 11, and I've quoted this numerous times, but it's worth repeating. Revelation 11 verse 8 said, uh, talking concerning the two witnesses, that their dead bodies would lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. It says our Lord was crucified in the city which is spiritually, spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. And you read over that quickly and it doesn't dawn on you that our Lord was not crucified in Sodom or Egypt. Our Lord was crucified in Jerusalem. But the Holy Spirit is taking His finger and saying Egypt is a picture of Old Covenant Jerusalem and Judaism that makes a slave out of you and not a son. Under the Old Covenant you're a slave or a servant, and in the New Covenant you're a son and an heir. And uh, so He's trying to make you move from uh, 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 that paradigm. So the, the exodus out of that uh, Egypt is an exodus out of an old covenant, works-based, performance-based, man-centered, uh, married to Adam, lifestyle, struggling to try to dress Adam up 
uh, and make him look holy. Or, or if I could say it like this, to make Ishmael look like Abraham in the face, but inside he's got the heart of an Egyptian beaten in his breast. But the reality of it is, is when you start to realize that, that this is about a new creation and coming out of that bondage and into a promised land, then you see the fourth chapter of the book of Hebrews. It talks about, let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into His rest, any of you would seem to come short of it. So in the New Covenant, the Promised Land, Hebrews chapter 4 declares that the Promised Land is rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And the only way you can rest is realize that the work was finished. And when Jesus said, it is finished, He meant it was finished. And so that you could rest on, you know, enter into an incredible, incredible rest. And so, you know, I was thinking even uh, uh, as, as I look back even at uh, the book of Genesis, that the book of Genesis in the first three chapters is talking about an old creation. But the old creation uh, ends uh, with, God, with a man in his image, or let me say it like this. On the sixth day, God starts out by saying, of course, in the beginning was the word, uh, you know, he says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the great deep, but the Spirit of God moved over the face of the water, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then the end of that story is it begins to bring forth, and each day of creation could show you the progression of redemption. But in, and then the, it ends in the sixth day with a man in his image after his likeness, and then he rests on the seventh day. But if you go into the book of John, John repeats this Exodus paradigm, but this time he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made by Him, and without any, Him was not anything made that was made. And then in John 1, Jesus comes up out of the waters of baptism. He is the light. He's the beginning of a new creation. He's the new temple. In that same chapter, he talks about new birth in chapter 3. But when you get on over to about chapter 7 of the book of John, Jesus shows up in the temple on the sixth day. And they said on the, uh, the time, behold the man. And so he has a man in his image, and then they crucified Jesus. He lays in the tomb on the seventh day, because on the seventh day, when he's laid in the tomb, the work has been finished. But on the eighth day, new creation, he gets up from the dead to be the beginning of a brand new species, and a new marriage is afoot, and God is about to be joined to us in holy matrimony with a new covenant, with us being free to be married to another, even to him who's raised from the dead. I think the wedding at Cana is a powerful picture of that as well. It's a picture of his wedding. Well, we're almost out of time, so I'm just going to have to quit here and pick up next week. But if you would like to take a moment, please, to uh, write to us or to help us financially to be able to keep this kind of a message on the air, take a moment to go to this link, and you can give via credit card, or you can give via debit card, or you can scan the QR code that's on the screen. You can also send a check or money order to the address that'll come on the screen. And uh, you could also call the number that'll come on the screen. And if you don't get an answer, please leave a message. Someone will return your call. We have a limited staff, and someone will return your call if you'd like a return call. But we do need your help to be able to continue to do this. So please do it today. Take a moment to sit down and write to us. We appreciate you. See you next week, same time. God bless you. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. 
In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.